My name is Dennis Fig. I run the security for World Wrestling, and one of our wrestlers that lives down there is missing. Okay, what's his name? Chris Benoit. Disclaimer. In this chapter, we will be telling you a story that involves drug abuse, domestic violence, violence in general, murder, and suicide. This will be the only warning. Please do not listen if you are sensitive to this topic. So welcome to part two of the Chris Benoit story, where we left off in part one, we had kind of gone through the slow but steady mental decline of Chris Benoit. So let's get into the crime. So at 8.30 a.m. on June 22nd, 2007, Chris dropped Daniel off at Holly's horse camp. Um, Holly is the Benoit's next door neighbor, and she did a weekday camp for horseback riding and such. So Holly would tell detectives that she found it strange that day that Chris pulled up and drove off so quickly and recklessly, but at least this time he drove Daniel to the door. Um, the day before, um, Chris had just dropped him off at the end of the driveway, driveway and took off. Um, Chris from there then drove to Carlton, which was 40 miles northwest for an appointment with his doctor, Dr. Aston. Uh, the appointment wasn't until 1230, so he stopped on the way for a bite to eat in one of his favorite spots called Moe's Southwest Grill in Peachtree City. Benoit saw his doctor like every couple of months for just checkups or renewing prescriptions, but this time it was for nothing special, no physical complaints, just the usual aches and pains. He did say that he was mildly depressed. Um, he wanted Dr. Aston to give him uh, or renew his prescription for Zoloft, uh, which he did. Um, and Chris also discussed a little bit about his marriage, saying that Nancy was, quote, acting like Hitler lately and wonder maybe if she was experiencing the onset of menopause. The doctor said that Chris didn't seem unusual or paranoid or showed any signs of rage or agitation during the visit. Chris then drove home while talking on the phone with a fellow wrestler um, and discussed his marriage. Uh, he then drove to a local McDonald's to meet up with a friend, Ray Rolls. Chris handed Ray a check for $650 um, and Ray handed him two sets of tights. Uh, one set was for him and another was for another wrestler. Um, Ray really wanted to know how Chris felt about being moved recently from the WWE's raw roster to the ECW, um, the company's least watched brand. From what I understand, this would have been considered a demotion for someone in Chris's spot in the organization. Chris told him, quote, as long as I can wrestle, that's all I care about, end quote. Then when Ray mentioned that he had been working hard and was super tired, Chris perked up saying that he knew the perfect pick-me-up a mixture of goodies, headache powder, Red Bull energy drink, and Yellow Jackets. So Yellow Jackets uh, was an ephedra-based diet pill that had been banned seven years earlier by the Food and Drug Administration. But when the two parted ways, Ray remembers thinking, wow, that guy's wired. Um, so Chris had a couple of days before he was scheduled to fly out with the WWE to be on the Vengeance pay-per-view show. Um, he was supposed to beat a wrestler called CM Punk and win the ECW championship. Um, we know now Chris did not show up to that match. So that day, Chris arrived home. 
called the pool maintenance company to fix the family swimming pool. And when the pool guys arrived, Chris was cooking food on the outdoor grill out by the pool. Um, Daniel was helping him. Both were wearing swimming trunks. This is the last known sighting of Daniel and Chris. And we should note here that the pool guys did not mention seeing Nancy. And this, so Daniel is his son? Daniel is Chris and Nancy's son. Correct. And how old would Daniel be? Daniel was seven years old at this time. Okay. Some speculate that sometime on the 22nd, likely after dinner sometime, Nancy had confronted Chris about ongoing marital issues. It was known that Nancy also took pain medication and did have issues with drinking too much alcohol. So perhaps she confronted him about where he was earlier in the day. Was he getting more testosterone? Was he having an affair? Did Nancy perhaps tell Chris that because of all of these things, she was taking Daniel and leaving him for good? Or did Chris premeditate the attack? Um, The fact is that we will honestly probably never know. Records show that on June 22nd at 9.25 p.m., a call was placed to 411 information, uh, the number to process the request from the Benoit home phone for the phone number to the Fayetteville police. The number given was an obsolete non-emergency number, but in any case, nobody in the house tried to call it. People will figure that this must have been Nancy. I think it could have been Daniel making this call because I think that Nancy would have called 911 and maybe Daniel got confused between 411 and 911. Equally, actually, probably even more heartbreaking is that 9.32 p.m. records show that there was a call from the Benoit home uh, to the next door neighbor Holly's cell phone, another one one minute later, and then another at 10 p.m. No voice messages were left, but those three phone calls were made to the to the neighbor's home, and they went unanswered. What we do know is that Chris's attack on Nancy was very brutal. The attack happened in the bonus room upstairs above the garage, an area that had been used as an office space in the house. Uh, Chris bound her ankles with a black phone charging cord and black electrical tape. He tied her wrists with an S cable and looped a white coaxial cable around her neck twice, as well as a brown rope around her neck. Nancy had a significant injury and bruise to her back that the medical examiner said was from a knee being used to gain leverage on the ligatures around her neck. So as he was strangling his wife, Chris was pushing on her back with his knee. Um, some, some reports say that her back was broken. I read the autopsy report. I didn't read that. Well, Nancy also had blunt force trauma to the back of her head. There was blood uh, under her head. Uh, so Chris had probably had beaten her to some extent as well. She had some random bruising to her legs, thighs, and arms though the crime scene investigators said there was no signs of a struggle or fight in the room. I think her being a professional wrestler herself, like uh, she would have put up some kind of a fight if she saw it coming. Like if they were in a heated argument and he came for her, there might've been some, at least defensive wounds or something, but they're not listed as defensive wounds. The medical examiner said there was alcohol in her system, but could not determine if it was consumed by Nancy or just the chemical reaction that happens during decomposition. Which means that it probably wasn't that much regardless. Right, right. 
I should say that there was like beer cans and wine bottles found throughout the house and some of them were half full or whatever, but both of them drank a lot. And if you look at the crime scene photos of the house, the only room that's clean is the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Every other room's got clothes strewn around. It's like they, it's like they really didn't give a shit. You know, like both of them, I yeah. it looked to me like they were both really struggling with something for not just a couple of days. This was very ongoing. I think like she might be a wrestler herself, but to compare that to a dude who mm-hmm. took it so seriously and was on so many steroids, yeah. I think that it could look like there was no struggle at all. Mm-hmm. If he could tear apart furniture and stuff, what how hard would it have been for him to just throw her down and put a knee in her back? Mm. And I mean, she did have the hydrocodone in her system, but it was at therapeutic levels. But I really don't care if you have hydrocodone or anything like that in your system, you're going to be groggy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, But this leads me to believe that Chris may have blitz attacked her or snuck up behind striking her on the head and then continuing the attack when she was not able to fight back. Um, so the items Chris used to murder Nancy are what I consider to be opportunistic, being that this happened in their bonus room, which was being used as an office. So the cords and electrical tape um, probably would have already been in the room. Um, so this all kind of argues against premeditation, in my opinion. Uh, but after he killed his wife, he covered her with a dark colored throw blanket, kind of almost like a horse blanket with the, you know, with the fringes that kind of Thicker and stiffer at the fringes. Yeah. So he covered her with one of those and he placed a Bible beside her um, and he left her there. And that's really all we know for sure about uh, Nancy Benoit's death. Records show that on June 23rd, so the next day, Chris called the neighbor Holly and left a voice message, basically asking if Daniel was supposed to be at horse camp that day. And if so, letting her know that he couldn't make it because he was sick. When Holly picked up the message in the afternoon, she mentioned to her husband that it was very strange because Nancy knows that the camp was on weekday mornings only. Also, it was very uncharacteristic for Chris to initiate any conversation whatsoever. So at 3.01 p.m., Holly called Chris back. They talked for nine minutes, and Chris asked if anyone in her family had been sick. He said he was asking because Daniel had been up all night with food poisoning Chris felt bad that he couldn't do anything for him, uh, that Nancy also had food poisoning, which he said was not as bad as Daniel. Chris said that he was fine and that Nancy and Daniel just wanted to lay low for a few days and recover. Chris sounded very calm, but later Holly would realize that Chris must have been discouraging her from visiting or calling Nancy, with whom she talked to a lot. Another wrestler named Michael Parker, who had just been released from the WWE, left Chris a voice message at 157, and Chris called him back, and Parker said later that Chris sounded groggy and was slurring his words. At 3.49 p.m., Chris made a Google search for the prophet of Elijah. Uh, later, the Benoit family pastor, George Dillard, theorized that at that moment, Chris may have been praying to God to return life to his family. So apparently the prophet of Elijah was able to rise his son from the dead. So maybe Daniel was already dead at this point. Yeah. Um, it sounds like probably, but I, we don't know his time of death. We know that this the state of decomposition was different from Nancy to Daniel. <gasps> 
but we also know that his the temperature upstairs in that bonus room was almost ten full degrees warmer than it was in the room where um, Daniel was. So they could have been killed around the same time, but officially the records show that Nancy was murdered on the 22nd, Daniel was murdered on the 23rd, and then Chris committed suicide on the 24th. So, but like I said, the temperatures in the house. Well, it's obviously premeditated enough in that he killed his son the next day. Like, what a fucking sadistic prick. Um, yeah, sometime this day, Chris gave his seven-year-old son some Xanax. And to me, hopefully this means that the boy was well sedated before he apparently applied one of his famous finishing moves on the boy, uh, the one known as the Crippler Crossface. This was due to a bruising pattern found on the boy's face, the side of his face, and one arm. Um, the absence of any external signs of strangulation on his neck but there were significant internal injuries to the seven-year-old's neck. Police don't believe that because of the size difference that the hold was applied exactly as it would be in a wrestling match, like in the ring. Um, the crippler cross-faced involved placing an arm of a Florida opponent between Benoit's legs, locking his hands around their face, and pulling back to stretch their neck. So... There's no signs of strangulation on the outside of his body, but he could have just been suffocated too. You know what I mean? Like if he's pushing hard enough on a pillar or whatever, that could easily leave a bruise on the arm or the face. But yeah, because of the Xanax, we can, we can hope and find small comfort in that he was probably sedated um, during his murder. It is. Yeah. Wow. Chris left his son dead on the bed and laid another Bible beside him. As we know, Chris was scheduled to appear on the WWE SmackDown Live event in Beaumont, Texas that weekend. Um, He did have contact. And this, you know, this really bothers me that he's still, after we know for sure that he's killed Nancy, we know that he's murdered his wife. And we're quite sure by this time his son is also murdered. He's taken the life of his son. When we go through this, keep in mind now that he is working on getting a new flight. So to me, was he intending on going and wrestling in Texas and trying to get away with this? Or was he literally just keeping up appearances so that he could portray or act out his plan of killing himself yeah i mean the plan just doesn't make sense to me why are you why are you waiting like what why because if he didn't do what was expected of him and keep up appearances then people would have came to the house yeah but they would be dead and he wouldn't have a chance to kill himself but it's not till the next day yeah right so So he's keeping up appearances so that nobody comes to the house because anybody coming to the house would ruin his plan so, okay, going back. So 3.49 p.m., Chris made the Google search about uh, raising the boy from the dead. The pastor thinking that he was praying to God to return his whole family to life. So that's at 10 to 4 p.m. So we can 10 to 4 p.m. on the 23rd. And during this time, he's he's talking to people. So, okay, yeah. So, I mean, this clearly says that he's... Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Okay. So on the 23rd, 
Um, here's a rundown of all contact outsiders had with Chris. And it's all regarding this, um, this match that he's supposed to be in or this trip he's supposed to be taking. So at 3.30 PM, Chavo Guerrero, which is Eddie Guerrero's nephew. So obviously he's very, very close with Chris Benoit, especially since the death of Eddie Guerrero. Um, but he left a voicemail for Chris. Uh, the message from Chris stated that he missed his flight and overslept would be late to the WWE live event. Chavo called Benoit back. Benoit confirmed everything he said in the voicemail, um, but sounded tired and groggy. Benoit then stated, Chavo, Chavo, I love you. Chavo stated that this was kind of out of context, not out of character, because since the death of Eddie, they would exchange I love yous from time to time, but this one just seemed different. He felt easy about the conversation, so Chavo called Chris back a second time didn't answer. So he left a voicemail saying, just call me back. And that was at 3.42 PM. At 3.44 PM, Chris called him back, stating he didn't answer the call because he was on the phone with Delta, changing his flight. Uh, Benoit stated that he had a very stressful day due to Nancy and Daniel being sick with food poisoning. Uh, but they discussed their travel plans for the WWE tour. And Chris was still sounding groggy at this point. 4.30 p.m., Scott Armstrong, who consistently travels with Chris, called him from outside of Houston Airport, and Chris answered. He told Scott that Nancy was throwing up blood and that Daniel was also throwing up. Chris thought they had food poisoning. Chris stated he'd be changing his flight and would be arriving into Houston after 6.30 p.m., so Chris told Scott to drive on to the event without him. At 5.35 p.m., Chris called the Talent Relations department stating that his son was throwing up and that he and Nancy were in the hospital with their son and that he would be taking a later flight to Houston, but that he would be making the live event in Beaumont. At 6.10 p.m., the representative called Chris, um, basically asked Chris what time he'd be getting into Beaumont. Um, Chris responded that he was leaving Atlanta where they lived at 9.20 p.m., so the talent relations person just advised Chris that it would be too late to make the live event in Beaumont, which Chris apologized for. Um, but the talent relations person suggested to Chris that instead of going to the live event in Beaumont, he should take the flight to Houston, rest up and be ready for the vengeance pay-per-view event the following night. 6.13 PM, the representative called Chris to confirm travel plans, but didn't get an answer. Um, at, on Sunday, June 24th, 2007, Chavo and another coworker received identical text messages in the early morning hours from Chris and Nancy's phones. Text message one was sent to both Chavo and Scott Armstrong, um, at 3.53 AM from Chris's phone. The message says, my physical address is 130 Green Meadow Lane, Fayetteville, Georgia, 30215. Text message two sent to the same people from Chris's phone at 3.53 a.m. said, the dogs are in the enclosed pool area. Garage side door is open. Oh, good. He cared about the dogs. In the next couple of minutes, the same coworkers received the exact same text messages, only this time they're coming from Nancy Benoit's cell phone. So about the physical address and about where the dogs are. But this time, instead of Chris's phone, it's Nancy's phone sending these text messages. 3.54 a.m., 3.55 a.m. 
um, and then another one at 3.58 a.m. It is believed that shortly after sending these text messages, Chris Benoit committed suicide by hanging using a weight machine cord by creating a noose at the end of the cord on a pull-down machine from which the bar had been removed. Benoit released the weights, causing his strangulation. Uh, Nancy's sister, Sandy, revealed more information in 2016, stating that over the entire weekend, uh, Chris had been researching the quickest and easiest ways to break a neck. Um, And really disturbingly, actually, Chris had the presence of mind to put like a white towel around his neck. And we don't know why, but I think it was just in case he didn't die, he didn't want a scar. Or maybe he didn't want like the the cord to decapitate him or something. But he's he's actually putting forethought into I better protect my neck in case this doesn't go as planned. I don't know. I don't know why that part really just to me. Like it makes me wonder if he had some kind of religious um, belief. But the breaking the neck, like searching the best way to or easiest or whatever way to break a neck, whatever you said, the quickest and easiest way to break a neck, like that's obviously in relation to his son, right? I don't think so because Daniel's neck wasn't broke. It was Chris who hung himself basically hung himself but- they said that the move that was done on likely done on the sun would have been pulling his neck back yeah what if he was trying to break the neck maybe maybe it's heartbreaking the whole thing because the easiest way to break a neck probably isn't twist twisting like you see in tv yeah, yeah. it's probably extending back that's where my brain went. But it's terrible. Very horrible. Guy sounds like a piece of shit. And just like snapped. So Shavo and Armstrong, those friends that received the text messages, made several attempts to contact Chris, um, either over the phone or text messages, as well as they called the local hospitals in the Atlanta area thinking that they were at the hospital with their son. Um, but no contact at all was made with uh, Chris on Sunday night. Um, Monday on June 25th, 2007 at 1230 PM, Shavo and Scott showed the WWE vice president of talent relations, um, the text messages that they had received from Chris and Nancy's phones in the early hours of the previous morning. Um, as more time progressed without any contact from Chris or Nancy or anybody, uh, WWE officials contacted the Fayetteville police uh, to do a welfare check at the Benoit household. And that call was made at 1245 p.m. And where was their house? Um, Georgia. 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 Oh, okay. Um, WWE contacted the Fayetteville um, County Sheriff's Office and requested them to go to Benoit's residence to do a welfare check. The the caller suggested that the police enlist Holly, the neighbor's help in securing the guard dogs before entering the home. Um, she regularly took care of the dogs whenever the family was away. And so this is what they did. Holly is actually the one who found little Daniel first and ran outside screaming to tell the police. Um, the police subsequently found Nancy and Chris's bodies 
and secured the house as a crime scene. Um, I can try to link the investigators' reports in the show notes. I'm not, I'm not sure how to do that because it's not actually on a website. Yeah. Um, so at 4 o'clock p.m., the WWE received a call from the Fayette County Sheriff's Office advising that they had entered the house and found three deceased bodies, a male, a female, and a child. The Fayette County Sheriff's Office has secured the house as a major crime scene and that they, they weren't releasing any further information at that time. So that night at the live event, Vince McMahon made a statement regarding the apparent tragedy all they knew at the time was that the Benoit family was dead. The show went on, but it was dedicated to Chris's memory and career, having his fellow wrestlers share words of admiration and sadness over his passing. <laughs> so the entire three-hour show was dedicated to Chris Benoit. <laughs> By the next day, we knew that this was much more sinister than anyone could have ever imagined, and as soon as the information was released about this being a double murder-suicide, Vince McMahon once again got in front of the camera and read a new statement basically saying that Mr. Benoit would never be mentioned again and their thoughts and condolences were with Nancy's family. So we're going to listen to that section right now. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Last night on Monday Night Raw, the WWE presented a special tribute show recognizing the career of Chris Benoit. However, now some 26 hours later, the facts of this horrific tragedy are now apparent. Therefore, other than my comments, there will be no mention of Mr. Benoit's name tonight. So Vince McMahon um, intended to and succeeded in scrubbing Chris Benoit from his wrestling empire. Um, more recently, though, Chris's title wins can be found on official lists, though I believe that any of his matches have been omitted from new or re-released versions of WWE shows. Um, you can still go online and see his matches, but nothing on any WWE official site includes Chris's uh, wrestling legacy at all. And what was Chris's wrestling name? Chris Benoit. That's it? Yeah. Uh, he had a nickname, the Canadian Crippler. About it and back like in his new pro or new Japan pro wrestling, I think he was known as Wolverine or Pegasus Kid and shit like that. But for the WWE, he was Chris Benoit. That was, that was <laughs> his name. Interesting. Yeah. So immediately the media started asking if this was a case of roid rage. Uh, roid rage is an outburst of anger, aggression, or violence attributed to the use of anabolic steroids. Some experts believe that the use of testosterone can contribute to paranoia, depression, and violent outbursts known as roid rage. Um, when asked his opinion, Chris's longtime friend and famous wrestler Bret Hart said that roid rage is a burst of aggression. It's like going out and flipping your car over or even seriously harming someone in some cases maybe, but there has to be more to this one. Um, roid rage doesn't take away your sense of right and wrong. Thinking about this happening over the span of an entire weekend, Brett also said that he'd never known Chris to be an angry, violent, or aggressive person, and that any marital issues that he may have been having with Nancy um, was never communicated to him or any of the Hart family. So that they were taken completely by surprise with this. But Brett did say that since his exit from the WWE, um, Brett actually went on to have a stroke not too long after that. Um, he was kind of 
out of that wrestling world and kind of lost touch with Chris over the few years. Also, obviously, the Hart family would need to protect their image. Mm -hmm. So even if they did have an inkling of any marriage, marital problems in that house, they would never be able to admit that anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think that it just says a lot that all of these people just kind of try and like sweep it under the rug in that they don't want WWE to be shown in a negative light. So like they're coming up with programs and stuff like that to support people not taking steroids and stuff like that. And, you know, in his explanation, he wants to explain that, yeah, roid rage happens, but it doesn't take away your sense of right or wrong. And I agree with you. But I, it, I feel like you're, you're thinking very rationally, but you can't, and I'm not. I'm not a super Bret Hart fan. Like, that's not me. That's so many other people. That's not me. I like the guy. He's talented, whatever. But having said that, in 1997, Bret Hart had a falling out with Vince McMahon and the WWE as a whole and is not in any way, shape, or form out to protect that company. He is one of the loudest opponents to Vince McMahon and their drug testing and all this other crap. Like, he is... He's not, he's not, he's not out to protect the WWE. He's, he's, he wants to protect the wrestling image for sure. Yeah. But he's not protecting Vince McMahon about anything. Which is like, yeah, and I didn't mean that specifically, but what I meant is that they are trying to protect this, this thing that they've all been doing, which is, you know, taking these steroids. They've all experienced roid rage and they're trying to, almost like make it seem like it wasn't because of that that he did all of this right but the fact is it very very likely played a big part in it absolutely i don't even know how anybody can deny it right um during his autopsy i I don't know if i say it later on in the story but yeah i do it's it's coming up right now but he had 10 times the amount of testosterone that would be found in that of a normal adult male and i bet you most of them do have that in their bodies at any given time Mm-hmm. And his doctor was, we come to find out his doctor was actually prescribing Chris a year's worth of testosterone every two to three months. Jesus Christ. Like, that's a lot. It's not technically considered anabolic steroids, this testosterone, because he was on testosterone replacement therapy uh, prescription. He was able to pass the WWE's drug test, even with this testosterone in his system, because he had a replacement therapy prescription for it so even though they had this drug testing policy and and program there were these huge gaping holes in it where people like chris benoit could have 10 times the normal amount of testosterone in his system just just like every other addict they abuse yeah the prescription the drug the system they abuse it yeah i feel like it's important to say that his autopsy report actually says the word the words, no anabolic steroids found like, in his system. So the only thing that he was juicing was on testosterone. testosterone. Yeah. And in his mind, he's probably thinking, I have a prescription. I'm on this therapy program, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm not excusing him. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to make it make sense in my head. But it does make sense. So I don't quite understand that. It makes sense. He was 
a juice head, mm-hmm. addict, mm-hmm. with aggression. Mm-hmm. And if he was taking them, quote unquote, yellow jackets. Yeah. It's a veteran. His body was Speed. a cocktail of fucking. Yeah. And hydrocodone, Xanax, Zoloft. Zoloft. For, Zoloft isn't supposed to be taken with anything else. And that was just Alcohol. the day that uh, Nancy was murdered. On the Friday he got that prescription. There's no information saying that whether or not he got it filled. I never went that deep into. So the he had just the gotten the Zoloft prescription. Then this happened. Yeah. A cocktail of destruction. I bet you he took it. Yeah. Something. And the first three, four weeks of taking Zoloft, it spirals you. Mm-hmm. So I would believe that he freaking took it. If you're looking for something that changed, like, whoa, he wasn't showing any of that aggression. He wasn't portraying any of what would make you think that he'd go and murder his family. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's that? He just got a new prescription that's for the mind. Mm-hmm. Serotonin. Mm-hmm. Your serotonin blockers and stuff. That's like two and two make four. You know what I'm saying? So four days after the bodies were found, Chris's dad, Mike Benoit, was asked to consider donating Chris's brain to the Sports Legacy Institute, specifically to assist in Dr. Amalu's uh, research on CTE and its relation to multiple concussions and head trauma. Um, Mike Benoit agreed. Chris's brain was found to have severe damage. Uh, The findings likened Chris's brain to that of an 80-year-old Alzheimer's patient. Wow. Add a constant use of testosterone, hydrocodone for pain, possible demotion at work, uh, Xanax, alcohol, grief, paranoia, Zoloft. And to me, I think we have our answer. Chris Benoit snapped and murdered his wife, probably for trying to leave him or something like that. Perhaps he didn't want to leave Daniel uh, to know growing up that his dad murdered his mother or maybe he thought they'd all be together in heaven. It would be interesting to know what his intentions were with those Bibles. Um, there was nothing in any report about any passages being highlighted, though in another Bible in Chris's belongings that had been sent to his ex-wife in Edmonton, I had a handwritten note that read in part, I am preparing to leave this earth. At the end of the day, I'm not sure any amount of research is ever going to sufficiently explain what happened here um hopefully though findings may educate these professional sports authorities on the dangers of head trauma drug use the importance of assistance being offered to these athletes when they do start to struggle i think that we can clearly see the correlation between heavy drug and steroid use and heart disease or drug abuse overdoses and suicides so add the cte to it all i think that they need just as much education on head trauma and CTE as they do about drug and alcohol. You know what I mean? Like, I think it should be just as important and, and if not more so, uh, the, in the NFL and even the NHL. Now, um, we have the concussion protocol, whether the players like it or not, if they hit their head, they're gone. You have to be seen by a medical professional before being allowed back on the ice or on the field. This is just a start, but I think we're moving in the right direction. Unfortunately, far, far too late for so many, but maybe going forward, it can, it can help change things. As per a Psychology Today article, 
Age 35 to 55, suicide perpetrators are often facing some kind of personal crisis that evokes intolerable feelings of shame, embarrassment, and rage. Perhaps it's uh, insurmountable finance pressure or the threatened loss of status in the community, like being demoted. Perhaps it's increasing insecurity or jealousy over a loved one. Um, more, you know, stress in your marital situation for whatever reason, whatever the triggering event, the perpetrator's ego and pride become clouded by depression and cognitive distortions and his coping mechanism follows suit. These are kind of the triggering things that psychology today say that are common in perpetrators of familial murder suicides. So the fact that Chris was afraid to leave the WWE, but was faced with the choice to either leave the company or lose his family, add the deep depression he was feeling with the drug abuse, alcohol use, testosterone injections. I could go all day with these possible scenarios, but I'm curious um, what our listeners think. Um, I don't know. I just, I think it's tragic and horrific, but bizarre because as a kid, Growing up, watching Chris Benoit, and since this happened, hearing more about Chris Benoit backstage in real life, what people thought of him that don't have anything to hide or prove. Um, this, it didn't come from exactly nowhere, but everybody thought that, even his family thought that he loved his kid, that he loved his wife. Where did this come from? Where did it come from? So I would say that families don't often see the dark side, especially in a marriage. Once that door is shut, he could have been the worst person behind closed doors. He could have been, he could have totally. been such a monster. And I'd be more inclined to believe that seeing as he fucking killed his family. Brutally. 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 Yeah. yeah that's fucked up. Yeah. But I think. It would be pretty interesting to see what the listeners think to this one. I feel a little heartless when it comes to this one towards the, like, just towards trying to understand his mental anguish or whatever. Yeah, whatever he was going through. Like, I could give less of a fuck as soon as he murdered his family. Yeah. Um, but my my thing is, let's if possible, get to the bottom of it so that we can prevent it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we can prevent it by safely saying, don't take drugs, don't abuse your family, and don't abuse the things around you, such as drugs, alcohol. Your body. Your body in general. Like, mm -hmm. And also, it, to me, it sounds like he buried himself in grief. It, to me, like it's a very, like, you choose how you respond to things and you choose when somebody passes even if it's a bunch of people you choose if you are going to go through it in a successful you know proactive, proactive way or yeah. you choose if you're gonna bury yourself and decide to just live in grief and sadness yeah. and oh poor me like like that you you choose that you really do mm -hmm. and and in chris's own <clears> words <throat> in our very beginning he talks about how the drugs alcohol the business nothing puts you into darkness but your own personal choice chris's exactly. own words like so he a, knows it a couple years before this happened he knew 
Mm-hmm. But what took him from that state of mind to the murderous, honestly, piece of shit that did that murdered his son and his wife? Again, I feel like maybe he was always that person and he just got to the point where he was like, okay, I'm going to do it now because I'm not hearing what I want to hear. And now you're really talking about leaving me or mm-hmm. whatever it is. He decided now was the time. And he thought that he would had the right to not just take his wife's life, but to take his son's life. And also, according to that Ray Rolls guy, he was wired that day. Yeah. Probably on yellow jackets. And but again, you know, whatever over the else, whatever else, you know, he had time to think about killing his son and like not doing it or, mm-hmm. you know, just getting somebody to come and help. And that's what I struggle with. That's what I struggle with. It, it, it's that the timing. It wasn't just his mental issues. It wasn't just medication. It was that he was evil. I think and behind I wonder closed if doors. He was not. I wonder if he was planning on because something I didn't mention um, the same day that Chris committed suicide. So on. June 24th, um, Chris's old tag team partner was found dead in Calgary, um, I believe from a heart attack. Um, so did Chris find this out? And that was the breaking point. And he thought, I'm not doing this anymore and decided to kill himself. But I mean, it's kind of clear that he killed himself very, very early in the morning. And I believe that this guy's body wasn't found until later that day. So, you know, I don't know. It's just bizarre, and it just it stuck with me, and I'm I'm glad I covered it, and it might have been a little long, but hopefully everybody maybe they weren't it. even the maybe it wasn't even the first two people that he'd ever killed. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is that like, you know, there's murders that aren't solved. We don't know who this guy really was, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. I mean, if anybody has a, a different take on it or they want to add, you should definitely check out our Facebook and continue the discussion there. Yeah, we should have. Yeah, for sure. I would love to know what people think about this one. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it will help our show grow. Check out our TikTok where you can find interesting photos and content on all released episodes. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube at True Crime Story Podcast where the discussion can continue. If you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. And I'm Char. And we'll see you in the next chapter. Bye.